Let's get started with the word of prayer, and then we'll let Pastor Tim get started here. Let's pray. God in heaven, today we worship you as our creator and our redeemer, and we thank you so much again for your holy word. Tonight we ask and pray, God, for your presence to be here. We ask that as Pastor Tim delivers the message, that you would put your uh, loving hand, your divine hand upon him and guide and lead his words and his thoughts. And we ask that you would open our hearts today, God, to hear your message. Uh, we, we pray for the Holy Spirit to be present with us this evening. And uh, we pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, glad to have you here. And we're looking at the role of Islam in the growing conflict. We're going to pretty well tie things together on what's happening geopolitically in our world right now. Some of you are, haven't been here for all the way, so I'm going to do a really quick overview. In Daniel 11, you have a king of the north and a king of the south. whole series of countries invade Israel from the north in Daniel, especially in Daniel 11. The Persians follow the same route as the Babylonians before them. They drop down on Jerusalem from the north. Jeremiah calls them an assembly of great nations from the north. Then the Greeks come in from the north. But Daniel says that they would divide four ways, but there would be two of them that would be a real problem, north and south. Seleucid north, Ptolemy south, they fight back and forth. And for a couple of centuries, Jerusalem gets caught in the middle. Then the Romans come in from the north. And Jesus comes at that time period and dies there in Jerusalem. But then the Roman Empire divides and Islam comes up from the south and Christianity from the north. And once again, Jerusalem gets caught in the middle and they're still caught in the middle to this very day. There are three conflicts, the Crusades, the Ottomans, and the time of the end. And people have often asked, do the Muslims and Christians worship the same God? Well, that depends on how you look at it. But here's how Jesus said it. His real followers would love their enemies and do good to those who persecute them. So here's a quick question. In the Crusades, was it the jihadists or the crusaders that loved the other side and did good to the other side? Neither. So here's your answer. There are many Christians and many Muslims who are worshiping the same false god of force, fear, and anger, do it our way or else. There are some Christians and some Muslims who have found or are in search of the true God of love, truth, peace, and forgiveness. And tonight, we're going to show you that from Daniel 11. Okay? We're going right now right to the third conflict, verses 40 to 43. At the time of the end, the king of the south, that would be Islam, shall attack him. Papal-led Christianity, because it was the pope that called for the crusades. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and many ships. He shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon, that's western Jordan today. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his, the king of the north's heels. So Egypt and many countries are overthrown. And uh, now, I do want you to notice that Egypt, Libya, Ethiopia, and Western Jordan are all in the Muslim world. 
when the king of the south collapses, it's Islam that it's talking about. Now, we go back, and after the Roman Empire, when it's falling apart, in 634 the 637, actually in 634, four Muslim armies sweep up through here, come around, and then come back and head this way. So which way does Islam hit Israel from? They hit them from the south. When the Crusades happen later, when the Pope calls for, for Crusades to set Jerusalem free from the Muslims, they come in from the north. And so from that time on until the next kingdom, which is God's kingdom, you're going to have the north and south, Islam and Christianity in conflict. And if you take a look at today's world, you have the Muslim world, it's still predominantly to the south. You have the Christian world, and even the United States and Canada and all that, still predominantly north. And Jerusalem gets caught in the middle. You have Turkey up here, I have it striped. Kind of schizophrenic. Why? Its military alliances are with NATO. But its religious alliances are with the Muslim world. Makes for some interesting dynamics. Um, but overall, the Muslim crescent is still predominantly south after about 1,400 years of conflict. Charles Malik was president of the United Nations General Assembly for a year. He's from, the, from Lebanon. He was ambassador to the United States for Lebanon, and he was lecturing at Harvard. And he said the following, the only hope for the Western world lies in an alliance between the Roman Catholic Church, which is the most commonly influential, controlling, unifying element in Europe, and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Rome must unite with Eastern Orthodoxy because the Eastern Orthodox Church controls the Western Middle East. And if they don't solidify that control, Islam will march across Europe. Islam is political. The only hope of the Western world lies in in a united Europe under the control of the Pope. In the 1970s, this world politician, Orthodox Christian by birth, was willing to throw his own group under the bus, so to speak, and say they need to surrender or take the Pope as their leader. Why? Because at the time of the Crusades, the Christian world lined up behind the papacy because they were afraid of Islam. At the time of the Ottomans, they joined together with the papacy and the Holy League because they were afraid of Islam. And now as we approach the time of the end, they're once again afraid of Islam. But he wasn't done. See the rest of the quote. And then all Protestant Christians around the globe must come into submission to the Pope so we will have a unified Christian world. And that matches what it says in Daniel and Revelation. Now, I want you to notice some similarities. We have the Roman Empire uh, in Revelation and Daniel. We have these powers coming from the Roman Empire. The papacy is from the northern part of the empire. Islam's from the southern part. It would have a man at the head, according to the Bible prophecy characteristics. By the way, presentation two, we go through all 15 of those characteristics. Has a man at the head. Papal-led Christianity, the king of the north, has the pope. Islam has a caliph in the south. Now get this. A pope has both political and religious power, church and state union. A caliph has both church and mosque, church and state power. They both claim to be political and religious, and they both want to control the whole world. 
So if both of these guys want to control the whole world, is there room for both of them on the same planet? No. Something's got to give. And every time we have a king of the south, there's a holy war. Every time. There's been no exception. Both of them speak great words according to the prophecy. In place, the papacy says they are in place of Christ. They, in one statement, even saying the Pope is Jesus Christ himself hidden under the veil of the flesh. Lots of those kind of statements. But Islam denies the divinity of Christ. And when you ter- take the New Testament term antichrist, it actually means in the Greek genitive either in place of Christ or against Christ. The papacy's in place of and Islam's against. Matter of fact, Martin Luther made an interesting comment. Probably is right. He says, Daniel 2, the head of gold, chest of silver, belly of bronze, legs of iron and clay, iron, and then feet of iron and clay. He says, I want you to notice, he said, that the Roman Empire splits in the two feet. He said, one of them is Antichrist papacy, the other is Antichrist Islam. They both are against the ministry of Christ in one way or another. Both of them persecute the saints. Let's see. The Catholics killed Muslims, Jews, and Christians who differed with them. Who were the Muslims killing at the same time? They were killing Christians, Jews, and Muslims who differed with them. (laughs) Sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? Rome, the papacy, receives Rome, the dragon seat or the seat of the Roman Empire. But does anybody know where was the other Roman capital? Started out being Rome and it moved to where? Constantinople, it became Istanbul, and that became the capital of the Turkish uh, caliphate. So the papacy gets one, and the caliphate gets the other capital. The split, I mean, everything that happens is so similar. Only Rome matches, the papacy matches all 15 characteristics, but Islam matches about two-thirds of them, which tells me that the papacy is the true power that it's focusing on, but Islam is like it in many ways. There are time prophecies for both. In Revelation 13 and in Daniel 7, you have the 1260 times time and half a time time prophecy. But in Revelation 9, you have a five-month, 150-year prophecy for Islam, and then that's Arab Islam, and then in 915, you have a 391 year and 15 day, very interesting prophecy, it's to the day. And there was a guy by the name of Josiah Litch that used that to predict the fall of the Turkish Empire on August 11, 1840, and events that, ha- and he put it in print beforehand. And on August 11, 1840, in events in Turkey, Lebanon, and Egypt, Turkey became a protector to the European powers. That's really interesting stuff as you go through all this. Now, in Revelation 9, it says, One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. What I've got this up here for is to point out something. There are three conflicts mentioned as woes in Revelation. In Daniel, between the king of the north and the king of the south, in the divided Roman Empire, there are three conflicts. Three woes, three conflicts. Daniel and Revelation are teaching the same thing. 
If you look at the first conflict or first woe, you have the spread of Arab Islam and they cover this whole area in red. And uh, then the second one describes the time of the Reformation and the Islamic Ottoman Empire. It says, at the appointed time, he shall return and go towards the south, but it shall not be like the former or the latter. Now, the appointed time is something that it took me a while to figure out what it meant. I'm going to do something what my wife considers very dangerous. She says, what I'm about to share with you is a brief overview of the graduate level course. What I'm going to do is I don't have time to explain it in detail here. I'm going to give you a very brief overview, but if you'd like a fuller explanation, I'm going to do it in what they call Sabbath school here, which is what, 9.30 Saturday morning? I'm going to present it 9.30 Saturday morning. The problem is I've developed more material that doesn't fit. You're already getting a fire hose. (laughs) So uh, it's kind of a little bit additional, so you don't have to have it in the 10 part, but if you want it, it's Saturday morning. But here's an overview of it. There are um, the appointed time of, that it's talking about is from 1360 to, I'm wondering, some pieces of my chart disappeared. Do I have anything else? No, I don't. Man, that's really bad to do it without the picture. Well, let me show you something. There's a prophecy in Daniel that has the 1290 and 1335, and it's in Daniel 12, verses 11 and 12, from the abomination of desolation. And 70 AD is what Jesus says is the first of Daniel's two abominations of desolation. 1290 brings you to 1360, and 1335 brings you to the 1405. Notice that's just after the Crusades. At the appointed time, it's the time of the Ottoman Empire and the Reformation. And what, what happens in 1360? 60, the John Wycliffe, known as the Morning Star or theoretician of the Reformation, begins his work. 1405, John Huss becomes the first practicing reformer. It has exactly bearing on the beginning of the Reformation, and that's supposed to be the appointed time. And in 1453, the Ottoman Empire takes over. So in this time period, both the Ottomans and the Reformation are taking shape. There's another abomination of desolation. It's in 508. I don't know where it disappeared on my chart, but it's supposed to be there. And uh, from that, 1260 years brings you the 1798, and the other one brings you the 1843 which is right after the Ottoman Empire falls. 43-44, actually, the biblical year. And so in between them, you have the rise and fall of the Reformation and the rise and fall of the Ottoman Empire in its power. It's very interesting. So what you have before it is the first conflict, the Crusades, after it's the time of the end conflict, and this is the appointed one. The only time prophecies are for this one called the appointed time. Now, detail, Saturday morning. So it says, at the appointed time, he's going to return and go towards the south, but it would not be like the former or the latter. Then it says, why? For ships from Cyprus shall come against him. 
Therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and shall regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. This is very directly fulfilled in history. What happens is the Venetian-Ottoman War with the Battle of Lepanto in 1571. We're talking about Cyprus. Remember it said ships from Cyprus in the prophecy? So in 1571, the Turks were tired of the Christians having a naval base right here. They held all this land. They wanted Cyprus. And so they began to attack Cyprus to take it. And the Pope didn't want to lose Cyprus. As a matter of fact, he wanted to retake Jerusalem. And so he puts together what's called the Holy League. He's got several nations that throw their military support behind it. And his intent is to send the fleet of ships out here, take Cyprus, and then come over here to Jerusalem and retake that. So he's going to head south. But the prophecy says he's going to be stopped from what? By what? Ships from Cyprus. The Muslims take their... So he's got 300 ships getting ready to come this way. The Muslims get their 300 and some ships, and they sail over here to Cyprus, drop off 15,000 soldiers to finish Cyprus off, and they head west. And the two fleets meet somewhere right around here in the Battle of Lepanto. It was one of the largest naval battles in history at that point. 600 ships ended up just slamming together. In a couple hours' time, somewhere around 70,000 men died. It was a massive naval fight. The Muslim fleet was decimated. The Christian fleet was badly damaged. And it turned around and went back home. It didn't make it to Cyprus and Jerusalem. It, the prophecy was that it was going to head south, but it wouldn't make it because of ships from Cyprus. And where did the Muslim fleet of 300 ships just come from? Cyprus. Daniel never misses. Here's something else amazing. A friend of mine, an archaeologist, uh, he, he's in the stuff that I'm not into. And he keeps sharing stuff that he learns that I, he knows that I'm going to like. And he discovered in a doctoral dissertation there, up here in Central Europe uh, recently, a guy was studying the Battle of Lepanto. And one of the amazing things that he found was that both the Muslim and the Christian fleet thought, thought that they were fighting the battle of Daniel eleven twenty nine and 30. This isn't just new stuff. It just got forgotten. And they both thought there was going to be a larger, more crucial war following Daniel 11, verse 40 and following. That's our time. Um, So I share that with you just to let you know that this prophecy has amazing detail that has already proven itself multiple times. So when we get to our own time, we don't need to be, we can have a lot of faith in it. Here's a picture they painted in 1571. The Muslim ships are on the right. The Christian ships are on the left. You can tell it's the Muslims on that side because they didn't do so well. But they wanted to put pictures up of the retaking of Cyprus and the retaking of Jerusalem, and that didn't happen. But remember the prophecy says he's going to return home and fight against the covenant? Oh my, does that ever happen? The very next year at the Vatican, they put up this painting, 1572. It's a 
uh, there are actually two of them. Uh, it's a painting celebrating the death of 70,000 Huguenots killed in the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. What happened is the Catholics told the Huguenots, they, which were Protestants, they could gather together to celebrate a wedding of the relatives of the uh, main admiral of the French Navy. That's him getting thrown down and killed. Uh, but the French government, which is Catholic, the Catholic king double-crossed them, and when they got together, they killed them. They were promised a safe passage. They come against those following God's covenant, his word. They reward those who aren't true to it and kill those who are, fulfilling the rest of that prophecy. And that's the painting that gets put up at the Vatican, celebrating the death of 70,000 people. Why does God allow Islamic invasions into the Christian world? Well, you don't have to guess because God actually says why he does it. It's very simple. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. In the Old Testament, whenever the children of Israel put up images and worshipped them, especially when they put up images in the temple, did they gain or lose the protection of God? They lost it, didn't they? What do you think is going to happen when in Christian churches they start putting up images and bowing down to them when God's commandment said not to do that? Are you going to gain or lose protection? You lose it. And in come the Muslims. And what do the Muslims especially hate? Image worship. Do you see the method of what's going on? God is allowing a group that hates image worship to discipline Christians who are worshiping images now. And in the Ottoman, well, during the Ottoman Empire, what kept the papacy from wiping out the Reformation? Here's what's happening. Up here, Martin Luther is nailing the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg Chapel door. It's going to put the Reformation in high gear. Why didn't the Pope just get an army together and go up and silence Martin Luther? They wanted to. Because there were a couple of princes with small armies that were defending Martin Luther. But the Pope could put a big army together. But he couldn't afford to attack those princes. Why? The Turks were pushing in from the south and they needed every able-bodied soldier they could to try and hold this line. They needed those princes to come down and help hold the line. And the only way those princes would do it if Martin Luther was protected. You know what Martin Luther actually said about the things going on right now? He said his greatest defender was the Sultan of Turkey. Not because he and the Sultan were friends, but because every time the Sultan pushed... That meant Martin Luther wasn't being attacked and the sultan would stop pushing and the pope would think about coming after Martin Luther and the sultan would come in again. A couple of rounds of that, Martin Luther realized, hey, his best defender was the sultan of Turkey. Now get this. If it wasn't for the Muslims pushing from the south, the pope would have wiped out the Reformation and the Bible would not have been translated in the common languages and righteousness by faith would not be taught again. That's the two things that they were trying to silence. 
and it got away from them because of the Turks pushing from the south. God uses all things for good, folks. He really does. He keeps his word. Also, it tells us that the papacy would receive a deadly wound but come back with great power. You know the Pope's around with great power again. It received its deadly wound back in 1798. However, if you take a look at what I call the power curve, 538 is when Justinian's decree gives the papacy both political and religious power. They're strong for a while and they come down in 1798 when the Napoleon's general Berthier takes the Pope captive and he dies in captivity and he puts an end to the papal government. Uh, so the world thought the papacy was gone, but 1929 it got the Vatican back, its own country again, and they have since gained much power, and eventually they'll hit their peak of power just before Jesus sets up his kingdom, and then theirs is gone. So I knew all that, and I knew Muslim history too, to a lesser degree, but I knew it, but I'd never studied them together. I'd looked at them as separate events. And one day, I was in a hotel in Houston, MD Anderson Cancer Clinic, actually. And uh, I had some time, and I'm sitting there, and I decided to chart out historical events. I chart out the power curve of the papacy, and then on the same paper, I choose to chart out the power curve of, of Islam. Take a look at how similar. You have Arab Islam and the Crusades, And then Ottoman Islam comes in even stronger. Then they come down. And then in the time of the end, they both come surging back up again. And wow, that was interesting. We're going to talk about end time allies as well. That that gets really interesting. Here are the end time allies. We talked about the role of the United States from Revelation 13. It rises to support the king of the north. The French Revolution develops Marxist socialism that comes out of it. It ends up being supportive of the king of the south. Here's the other piece I don't have a lot of time to get into. In the last year, I've really been developing this. And I'm going to present it at their worship service Saturday morning at 11 o'clock here. It's the most politically incorrect thing I do. It's equal opportunity offenders. Uh, You can already tell from that slide that you're going to end up stepping on toes on both sides. But it's amazing what's happening in our world right now on how the political right is following the king of the north and the radical left is following radical Islam. And there's lots of people in between that are going to get caught in the middle. All right? But it's worth being there if you can. The real question is, Could it happen, a real outright holy war between radical Islam and the Christian world today? Well, it's already happening in case you haven't noticed. When you realize what's at stake and what the teachings are, you can realize that it's probably impossible for it not to get worse. Radical Muslims, well, first, we have Sunni and Shiite, right? Their basic belief is their end-time views, their apocalyptic views, there will be a war in Syria, Both Sunni and Shiite believe this, but the Shiite believe there will be a 12th Imam that comes into that wartime period. Jesus will show up in the city of Al-Quds and he'll destroy the Dajjal, which is a kind of a Muslim antichrist. 
uh, not Muslim, but an antichrist that the Muslims talk about, a bad character, and Jesus will destroy him at the city of, or near the city of El Quds, and then the caliphate will be set up in El Quds, a city in the Middle East. Now, the Sunni and the Shiite don't like each other too much, but they have the same general view. Muhammad Badia, the Muslim Brotherhood Supreme Guide, confirmed the necessity for every Muslim to strive to save Al-Quds from the hands of the rapist and to cleanse Palestine from the clutches of the occupation, deeming this an individual duty for all Muslims. The Muslim Brotherhood is the Sunni form of radical Islam, kind of the foundation of it. It was born in the 1920s in Egypt. Remember, Daniel 11 says Egypt in many countries fall? Well, Egypt is the birthplace of modern radical Islam. So that makes sense. So he's talking about Al-Quds and saving it from the rapist who, he's talking about Israelis. You see, the city of Al-Quds is known by most of the world as Jerusalem. If the radical Muslims want to set up their world capital in Al-Quds or Jerusalem, do you think Jerusalem just might get caught in the middle? There's no way to avoid it. As long as there's radical Islam, Jerusalem will be the focal point of the conflict. A high Iranian, this is now Shiite, a high Iranian politician believes the Syrian revolution could be the catalyst for sparking a worldwide conflagration that will usher in the era of Muslim domination of the world. So the Shiites think that they're going to take over and they too want to put the capital in Al-Quds or Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, have you ever heard of their special forces? They're called the Quds Brigade or the Al-Quds Brigade or Al-Quds Force. Their special forces trained to fight outside of Iran are named after Jerusalem. Then there's prophecies from Mary. Predict an Islamic Antichrist. This is the book Thunder of Justice, pages 342 and 343. There will be a World War III, and it will be started by a man who wears the turban of the faith of Muslim. Yet there is a more powerful one to rise in Syria. When this one has accomplished his work, he will cause destruction and pain and great persecution. The red will flow into the sea. There will be nothing to eat. The Antichrist is going to arise from the Mohammedan race, a Muslim. He's going to have a turban. The people will call it the eye of Satan. He will be young, wearing a long robe. This is uh, 12th Imam type imagery. He will be very intelligent and well-equipped for nuclear war, worse than Hitler, connected with communists, fire rockets at us, and some will hit New York City. This was written in the 1990s. It was among a whole bunch of prophecies that were supposed to happen around the year 2000. Most of them did not happen, which would make Mary not a very good prophet. These are supposed to be visions from Mary. Uh, Anyway. But this whole section is quite accurate. But again, you don't have to be a prophet. You could actually have gotten the same stuff from reading Daniel 11. And connected with communists, that's the radical left. Thing of it is, I can show you how Daniel 11 and Revelation 11 make that connection in Scripture already. And that's what I'll do Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. But so now many evangelical talk show hosts are teaching that the Antichrist will be Muslim. Oh, that would include uh, Tim LaHaye, uh, Joel Richardson, Joel Rosenberg, uh, Glenn Beck, radio talk show guys, made that connection several times. 
So what we have in Daniel 11:40-43 is the papacy and its allies, including the United States, will be attacked by radical Islam, and they will counter that attack, and they will enter Palestine, and Islam gets divided three ways. Let's take a look at that text again. At the time of the end, this would be the time period that we're living in, it appears right now, the king of the south, that would be Islam, shall attack him, the king of the north, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and many ships. He shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, that's Israel, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. One part of Islam escapes. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. They're overthrown. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. One part's overthrown, one part escapes, and one part follows. Now, the part that escape, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, Egypt, and many countries are overthrown, and those who follow. In Revelation 13.3, parallel statement says, And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So it's not just going to be Muslims that are following. Everybody's going to be following. Radical Islam's going to go down. Moderate Islam follows along with the rest of the world. Take a look at a map. Egypt and many countries overthrown. Libya, which in ancient times is North Africa. Ethiopia takes Sudan and all that into it uh, in ancient times. They're going to follow the king of the north. And a little part over here will escape right beside Israel. How might, well, let me back up. Remember in our last presentation, we found out Israel is both a geopolitical, literal place, but is also a global religious application for all God's people of faith. Well, the Saint Daniel's consistent. So Egypt is going to be a literal place, and I do expect Egypt to radicalize even more. Do you realize who won the last truly free election in Egypt? The Muslim Brotherhood, the radicals. Then there was a military coup. And Mohammed Morsi, the freely elected president, then died in prison. Um, there have been elections in Egypt since, but they've not been fair. How do I know that? Well, anybody can run against the president, el-Sisi, but you will run from jail if you're still alive. That's not exactly a free election, is it? Um, So Egypt radicalizes and radical Islam all over the world goes down with it. Libya and Ethiopia, they're going to follow the king of the north. There's representing the moderate Muslims and say, hey, we don't like radical Islam either. We'll work with the king of the north. That's already beginning to happen. And I saved the last part those that escape for last, because it's the good news, and I want to end with good news tonight, all right? So how might all this happen? In 2011, the first version of our book came out, Islam and Christianity in Prophecy. Had six expectations. Radical Islam would anger the papacy. The Pope would call for war against radical Islam. The U.S. and its allies would become the enforcer. Radical Islam would be overthrown, moderate would follow papal-led Christianity, and some Muslims would follow Jesus in the Bible. All this up here in particular, people thought I was crazy about that one, those first five things. 
But in the summer of 2014, they began to happen in sequence. And they happened rapidly. And we stepped into the third conflict. July 1, 2014. What I'm now going to show you is the whirlwind unfolding. One news story after another. And they're in date order. I'm not rearranging the order. All right? Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the self-proclaimed leader of the Islamic State stretching across Iraq and Syria, has vowed to lead the conquest of Rome as he called on Muslims to immigrate to his new land to fight under its banner around the globe. All right. So this is day one of the Islamic State, a caliphate. The first time since the Ottoman Empire we had a functioning caliphate claiming territory. What was their target on day one? Rome and the world. In Daniel 11, the king of the south will push against the king of the north, against Rome. I didn't know it would be so clear on day one. But it was. The question now is, how long would it take the Pope to call for war? Because the Pope's a man of peace, right? He didn't call for war except it only took five and a half weeks. August 7, 2014. On August 7, 2014, about 50,000 Yazidis and others were trapped up on Mount Sinjar. The Islamic State was taking over large sections of Syria and Iraq. And uh, on that date, Pope Francis spoke. He called for war. Pope Francis appealed to world leaders on Thursday to help end the crisis in northern Iraq after a sweeping advance by radical Islamic State militants forced thousands of residents of Iraq's biggest Christian town to flee their homes. His Holiness addressed an urgent appeal to the international community to take action to end the humanitarian tragedy now underway. The very next day, Obama says America is coming to help within 36 hours of the papal call for action the United States struck the Islamic State for the first time. That was quick. That would put you in the third and final conflict. There were some in the media, though, within the next week that were saying, oh, the Pope didn't really want the United States to use real bombs and missiles. They wanted humanitarian action. Remember, he said he called for action. He then sends out in the next several days his ambassadors to make it clear he wanted military action and the United States did exactly what he wanted. The Holy See's ambassador to the United Nations, Savano Tomasi, this weekend supported U.S. airstrikes aimed at halting the advance of Sunni Islamic State militants, calling for intervention now before it's too late. While the Vatican vocally disapproved of the U.S.-led campaign in Iraq in 2003 and the 2013 plan for airstrikes on Syria, fearing both might make the situation worse for Catholics on the, or Christians on the ground, fears of ethnic cleansing by Islamists has forced a policy change. Daniel 11, the king of the south will push and the king of the north will come out swinging. That's exactly what this article is admitting to. It was Islamists, the king of the south, pushing against them that caused the Pope to come out in anger and call for military action and get it. The Islamic State wanted to assassinate the Pope. Man, they still want to do it. Why would they want to do it? 
Well, what has been declared by the self-declared Islamic State is clear. They want to kill the Pope. The threats against the Pope are credible. The Pope had made himself a target by speaking out against the human rights abuses committed against Christians in Syria and Iraq, as well as by his approval of attempts by the U.S. to try and roll back ISIL. In 1995, there was something called the Bojinga plot, when Al-Qaeda came within a couple of days of blowing up the Pope in front of a million people. But their bomb maker, Ramzi Yosef, made a mistake mixing some chemicals. He had a work accident. It created a smoky fire. They quickly abandoned their apartment where they were making bombs. The fire department came in and put the fire out, and they found all these priest robes, and they found bombs and bomb-making materials. And one of Ramsey's friends came back to get the computer for work. Uh, He was arrested on the spot, and Ramsey bailed out of the country. On the computer was a whole Bojinga plot, and all those priest uh, robes were what they were going to wear to get in close to the Pope to blow him up on live television in front of a million people in the audience. It was stopped by an accident. Radical Islam wants to kill the Pope. Why? Because their belief is that if they can stir up a holy war between Islam and Christianity, that will bring in their final Messiah. And that will usher in the end of the world and their control of the world. So they've got to start the chaos and then they believe God will help them win. If they can get a holy war going, that would do it. Well, then Jihadi John calls Obama the dog of Rome. Why do radical Muslims call the United States the dog of Rome? Because the Pope said Sikkim on August 7 and by the night of the 8th and the 9th, the United States was hitting the targets. Pope says it's wrong to equate Islam with violence. Pope Francis said that equating Islam with violence was wrong and called on Muslim leaders to issue a global condemnation of terrorism to help dispel the stereotype. You just can't say all Muslims are terrorists, just as you can't say all Christians are fundamentalists. We have our share of them, fundamentalists. All religions have these little groups. Did you catch something there? He's okay with wiping out radical Islam, the fundamentalist, Right? He wants the moderates to come along with him. That's what Daniel says is going to happen. Moderates go along with him. Radicals get overthrown. But he says, we all have our problems with these little groups of fundamentalists. What's a fundamentalist, Christian? Somebody's following the Bible as their authority? What did the papacy call people during the Reformation that were following the Bible as their authority instead of church traditions? They had a name for them, heretics, and they killed them. So now he's got fundamentalist Muslims. He's killing them, asking the U.S. and others to kill them. He says, oh, yeah, we have our problems with fundamentalist Christians, too. Guess what happens in Daniel 11 after he takes out radical Islam? He goes after God's people. You can see it coming when you know the prophecy. Then the world united in Paris. 
a historic crowd of more than a million people, including more than 40 world leaders, jammed the streets on Sunday. Leaders often at odds, such as Ukrainian president and Russian foreign minister, Israeli Netanyahu and Palestinian Mahmoud Abbas. What were they united with? Because there had just been a terrorist attack, the attack on the Charlie Hebdo magazine. 17 people had died. Charlie Hebdo, a kind of a cartoon magazine, it had cartoons of Muhammad. It's a satire magazine. And, and so two Muslim gunmen had attacked the headquarters. And then they left there and they got in a gun battle at a Jewish deli. Total of 17 people dead. How many of you kind of remember hearing about this one? Yeah, most of you are going, yeah. How many of you know, at the same time, within a week of that, where there was an attack, a Muslim terrorist attack that killed over 2,000 people? That's as bad as September 11, 2001. Within a week of that. Hardly anybody knows about it. But it happened. BBC. Nigeria says the number of people who lost their lives in an assault by Boko Haram militants on the town of Baga last week was no more than 150. The defense ministry said this figure included many of the terrorists who had attacked the town in Borno State and faced resistance by troops. Local officials earlier estimated the number of deaths as many as 2,000. Nigeria has often been accused of underestimating casualty figures to downplay the threat of Boko Haram. Well, the official account that there was maybe 150 and the troops had defended them well was a flat-out lie. The troops didn't have any control in the area. The city was wiped out. There were something around 2,000 deaths. Why didn't you hear about that? Here's the ugly truth. Those are just African Christians, and the media doesn't care. How would I know that? Because hundreds of African Christians get killed every week, and the media doesn't care. Oh, it's happened two days ago. 130 were killed in one event. Did you hear about it? No. Because the media doesn't care. I know some of these people in Africa that are under attack. They're some really brave Christians. In an unusually blunt endorsement of military action, the Vatican's top diplomat at the United Nations in Geneva has called for a coordinated international force to stop the so-called Islamic State in Syria and Iraq. He said the joint statement originated with Russia, which traditionally sees itself as a protector of Orthodox Christians in the Middle East. Whoa! The Pope calls for military action, and he supports the United States in that action right away. The prophecy is, that's going to happen. But the prophecy says, all the world's going to follow him. And now, six months later, Russia and the Vatican together are calling for an expanded international force to go after radical Islam. And about six months later, Russia actually sends troops into Syria to fight against the Islamic State. And the world was shocked when it happened, but nobody needed to be. Number one, prophecy, but they weren't looking at that. Number two, they'd openly said that's what they wanted to do. 
six months earlier at the UN. If you don't know prophecy, you're sitting back and not watching and catching what's actually going on right in front of you. Do you think Satan and the media want you to know that Bible prophecy is being fulfilled? No. It's important to know prophecy so you can see it, that we are very close to the coming of Jesus Christ. Then Pope Francis wants to be president of the world. Huffington Post was ready to endorse him, but shrewdly, methodically, and with a showman's flair, the soft-spoken 78-year-old Argentinian Jesuit priest named Pope Francis showed Thursday that he is running to become president of the planet. Let's see, back at the Crusades, the Christian world and others followed the papacy because they were afraid of Islam. During the time of the Ottomans, they followed the papacy because they were afraid of Islam. At the time of the end, the world's again afraid of radical Islam. And who do you turn to? Who's the only power on earth that stopped the spread of radical Islam twice? Papal-led Christianity. A mass migration, and it's getting worse, or it may get worse. It has gotten worse. I don't think this wave can stop, said Sonia Licht of the International Center for Democratic Transition. The global north must be prepared that the global south is on the move, the entire global south. This is not just a problem for Europe, but for the whole world. Um, the Middle East. Would you want to live in Syria if you had a family? It's been torn apart by warfare for quite a few years now. Ten years. Would you want to be in Sudan and all the stuff happening there? Would you want to be in Libya with civil war happening there? You can go right down the list. If you have kids, you want out of there, right? I can't blame them for wanting to get out, but they're flooding into Europe. The south is pushing against the north. Daniel said the south would push against the north. It's happening with terrorism, and it's just happening with immigration. Along the southern border of the United States, there's pressure, right? Not much pressure along the northern border, but there is on the south. And along the southern border, there's more and more Middle Easterners coming across from countries that are pretty dangerous places. At that time, somebody asked Trump what he was going to do with radical Islam. Remember, he wanted to build a wall along the southern border because the south is pushing against the north. The point is they, radical Islam, want to do serious harm, he said. We have to take them out. We have to take them out very, very swiftly and viciously if necessary. We've got to destroy the brand of jihad. When he said that, I mean, at this time, everybody thought Trump was going to lose. And I thought, if, if he wins, that's exactly what Daniel 11 is talking about. And he did win. And he set about trying to fulfill it. During his inauguration, he said this, We will reinforce old alliances and form new ones and unite the civilized world against radical Islamic terrorism, which we will eradicate completely from the face of the earth. Well, the king of the, uh, Egypt and many countries are overthrown. Eradicated. But others would follow. And he sets about trying to build an alliance of moderate Muslims against radical Muslims. What you'd expect for Daniel 11. Where does he go on his first trip? To Saudi Arabia. Israel and the Vatican. Saudi Arabia, where the king of the south comes from. Israel, the one caught in the middle. And the Vatican, where the king of the north comes from. 
That's an interesting combination. He's three for three for Daniel 11's players. The visit to Saudi Arabia, he said, will include a truly historic gathering in Saudi Arabia with leaders from all across the Muslim world. We will begin to to construct a new foundation of cooperation and support with our Muslim allies to combat extremism, terrorism, and violence. He's out to fulfill Daniel 11. By the way, he didn't know he was fulfilling Daniel 11. But I will say this. He doubled the amount of bombs and missiles hitting the Islamic State that Obama was hitting them with. Right away, he doubled it. I mean, they were, t- they were really getting pounded. Then he announced that the United States is officially recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital and will move the embassy there. What made that big news was not the idea because for over 30 years, there had been a law in U.S. books that the United States was to move its embassy to Jerusalem. But it had a qualifier that any current president could postpone it. And so one president after another was postponing postponing it, although in their elections, both Democrats and Republicans said they would do it. When they became president, they postponed it. Trump said he would do it, and when he became president, he did it. Wow, does this cause a stir in the Middle East. Within a week, there's a meeting in Turkey. Suleimani, the commander of the Iranian Quds Force, remember what that means? The Jerusalem Force, says his nation is ready to support Palestinian forces in the Gaza Strip days after the U.S. recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital. And I want to point out something to you. This is what the media does. They'll talk about Al-Quds, they will talk about Jerusalem, and it's exceedingly rare for them to ever tell you Al-Quds is Jerusalem. They will talk about both of them in the same paragraph and not identify them as the same. Because if people knew what was really going on, they knew there's really no way to avoid a fight in Jerusalem. Saudi Arabia's powerful... Oh, keep, your, keep this guy, Suleimani, in your memory. All right? He's a major player. Saudi Arabia's powerful crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, has described Turkey as part of a triangle of evil, along with Iran and hardline Islamist groups. You know what Iran, Turkey, and Islamist groups? Islamist groups are Boko Haram, uh, Al-Qaeda, the Islamic State. Do you know what they all have in common? They all plan on making Jerusalem the world capital of Islam and conquering the whole world for Islam. So they're all unified in that. Along with the round and hardline Islamist groups, the Saudi prince also accused Turkey of trying to reinstate the Islamic caliphate abolished nearly a century ago when the Ottoman Empire collapsed. In this triangle, they are trying to promote the idea that our duty as Muslims is to reestablish the caliphate, that the glory of Islam is in building an empire by force. We have no duty anymore to fight to spread Islam, but in the triangle of evil, they want to manipulate Muslims. To tell them their duty as Muslims requires the establishment of a Muslim empire. I be- this is an earth-shaking statement in the Middle East. I believe the Palestinians and the Israelis have the right to have their own land. This is the foundation of the Abrahamic Accords. But we have to have a peace agreement to assure the stability for everyone and to have normal relations. Saudi Arabia and Israel were quietly working together the fight against radical Islam. Their planes had even coordinated on air attacks against radical Muslims. First wave Israeli, second wave Saudi. 
May 14th, the U.S. Embassy is moved to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is officially recognized by the United States as the capital of Israel. Oh, it's not just any day. May 14 is 70 years to the day from the founding of the nation of Israel. Why is that important? Take a look at this coin. A group that wants to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount, this is their coin. Uh, The guy in the background is Cyrus the Great. After 70 years of captivity, Jeremiah predicted 70 years of captivity, remember? After 70 years of captivity, Cyrus takes over and he says to the Israelis, the Jewish people, you are free to go back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is yours, and it results in them rebuilding the temple. After 70 years of statehood, Donald Trump says Jerusalem is yours, and they believe it will result in the rebuilding of the temple. And so these Israelis look at Trump as a Cyrus II type character. Well, Iran kept threatening, and Trump warned Iran's President Rouhani, threaten us and you will suffer. So Trump makes a threat. The Iranians, not to be outdone, answer with a picture. Recognize the building that's got a problem? Who lives in that building at the time? Donald Trump. Do you recognize this man? Soleimani, the commander of the Al-Quds force, the Jerusalem force of Iran. Number two man in Iran. He's holding a radio. He claims to have over a thousand terror cells in the United States. He's just called in a strike on the White House. And the little bit of English that I can read says, we will crush the USA under our feet. Donald Trump never liked somebody trying to put him down. He's not going to like that very well, folks. Just the way it goes. When Jihadi John called Obama the dog of Rome, a drone strike took him out shortly after. Sometimes presidents don't like people that they, don't, that they detest calling them things. Well, times go, goes on. The Atlantic talking about the Pope going to the Middle East. The meaning of the Pope's historic visit to the United Arab Emirates. What has changed in brief is the dual rise of the Muslim Brotherhood and the Islamic State. The following analysis applies equally to the Emirates and to Saudi Arabia. Facing direct challenges, the Gulf states calculate that they could no longer appease Islamists and should instead crush them. That is precisely what they have done both in the UAE and in Saudi Arabia. The institutional authorities of Islam and the political authorities with which they are aligned have just bought themselves an institutional ally, if not a theological one. Whether the alliance keeps the theological barbarians at bay is another question. Who is this alliance? The Pope and these so-called moderate Muslims. They're still pretty mean. I mean, Khashoggi was torn to pieces going inside the Saudi consulate. Why? Because he's a Muslim Brotherhood supporter. 
And so it, both sides, it's a life and death fight in the Middle East between moderate and radical Islam. But they are just making an alliance with the papacy. That's interesting, especially when Daniel 11 has radical Islam destroyed, moderate Islam joining with the king of the north in the United States. That's exactly what we have happening. Then the Iranians come out with this picture. Their pictures are always interesting to me. Uh, It says, we drowned them all. So you have Israeli and American ships smoking and sinking. But those waves aren't really waves, are they? That water isn't really water. What is it? Does anybody recognize it? This could be a clue. This is a Palestinian headscarf. That's the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. Why is it that at that time the Saudis were attacking ships in the Persian Gulf? They weren't warships, they were just tankers and things like that. Why? Why are Shiite Muslims arming Sunni Muslims in Palestine, the Hamas, etc., they're being armed by Shiites. Shiites and Sunnis don't like each other very well. Why are they doing it? Because the Palestinians are their ticket into controlling Al-Quds, Jerusalem. Again, the picture tells you what's really going on. It's all about Al-Quds, Jerusalem. And in Daniel 11, Jerusalem gets caught in the middle. Then Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was killed, the, the caliph of the Islamic State. They just put a new guy in, the new guy is a professor, but he's really stayed out of sight because he didn't want to die like the last caliph did. But the Islamic State caliphate is growing rapidly in Africa now. It's not gone. Trump said it was gone. It's not. What we saw with Trump is a sample of what the final conflict will look like. It began, it's on pause, they're rebuilding, and it will go back to happening either with Trump or somebody else coming back in. Um, Is the King of the South finished? No. More likely it expands. The U.S. Embassy was attacked in Iraq by Iranian proxies. And you know what they painted on the walls of the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad when they attacked it? Suleimani sent us. The guy holding the radio, calling in the strike on Trump, the one that said he was going to support the Palestinians in Gaza. Boy, he's really making enemies, isn't he? And then on January 3, he's killed in a drone strike in Baghdad. A U.S. airstrike near Baghdad's international airport killed Soleimani. Defense Department said it killed Soleimani because he was actively developing plans to attack American diplomats and service members in Iraq and throughout the region. He was gone. It also accused Soleimani of approving the attacks on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad earlier this week. Soleimani led the paramilitary Revolutionary Guards Kuds And here's the only time I've seen it in a major media release or Jerusalem force. 
they finally identified it as such. Then they went back to just calling it Kutz and not identifying it. A couple of days later, Drudge Report, which is an aggregate site of news stories from around the world, comes, releases its war. I had actually looked at the Drudge Report moments before I went on, on the platform to talk to a group of pastors. And I saw what was going on and I just slid down, copied, and popped it into a slide. Because at that moment, Iranian missiles were raining down on U.S. military bases. And Trump's red line was, if any Americans die, do you know what he told them? If any Americans die, I've already located 58 targets in Iran that will be wiped out. He said it's already sealed and delivered to the U.S. military. The targets are dialed in. And then he said those targets include religious and historical sites. Do you catch what that meant? We were moving from Geneva rules of war to holy war language. No Americans died. And the counterattack from the U.S. did not happen. There were 50 to 100 American soldiers that got concussions, though. Radical Islam wasn't backing off. This is still in January, right after all that. Alaska preacher, this is up on the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount. Jerusalem will soon be a capital of the global caliphate. Siam can be seen telling enthusiastic crowd that three prophecies would soon be fulfilled, that the rightly guarded caliphate will be established and that Jerusalem will be liberated and established as its capital and that Islam would achieve world domination. Notice, I'm not making this stuff up. It comes up over and over again. They have not let loose of that goal. There's only two ways that it will resolve. They are victorious or they are defeated. And the prophecy says they're defeated. Uh, Turkey is doing a bunch of things, and that's endangering Israel in the region. He's trying to get back to the glory days. One of the reasons Israel and the United Arab Emirates have worked out a normalization agreement between them is related to the growing concerns from Turkey's greater role in the region. It's not just that. It's also Iran. As we were headed into the fall of 2020, the Muslims, I mean, well, yeah, the Muslims and the Israelis are concerned. They have a problem. The United States swings back and forth in foreign policy depending on who the president is. And Iran and Turkey are dangerous to them, especially Iran, actually. And they know if Biden wins, Iran's probably going to get a pass. And if Biden wins, then radical Islam could probably build in power. Who would defend them? Because they went out on a limb with Trump against radical Islam. Well, there's one group in the Middle East that doesn't intend to ever surrender to radical Islam. You know who that is? Israel. I mean, this is a self-preservation thing for them. 
and the Abraham Accords start happening with moderate Muslim nations, with Israel, because they're afraid of the Islamist. It's an interesting play that's going on there, and it's all related to this prophecy. And then ISIS is taking over swaths of Africa like it did in Syria and Iraq with staggering, brutal tactics, the Pentagon warns. Austria's chancellor warns political Islam is dangerous for the European way of life and calls for an end to this misunderstood tolerance following terror attack that claimed four lives. Eastern Europe is turning solidly towards Orthodox Christianity and Catholicism and against Islam. Western Europe where there's an active political left, is still very friendly to Islam. Watch as that change continues to shift. Terror slaughter, ISIS fanatics behead 50 men and boys on Mozambique football pitch before chopping them up and kidnapping every woman. This kind of stuff is happening all the time. Twitter suspends account linked to Iran leader that vowed drone strike revenge on Donald Trump. Take a look at the picture they put out. This is right after Donald Trump is out of office. He's going to go play golf, right? Do you notice the threat? What's the threat? You see the shadow? That's a drone. And they're saying, we're going to get you. And the... When Trump left office, his family members were given uh, secret service protection beyond what is normal because of the threats that are going on with Iran. Pentagon ramps up attacks on resurgent ISIS. It is not defeated. That's, whoops, that's May 21, sorry. And you have civil war is brewing, serving French soldiers send Macron another chilling warning following earlier letter from retired generals calling for military action against Islamists. You have a threat of a civil war in France. Anybody know what happened to the president of France earlier today? He's meeting some people down in southern France, and as he's meeting somebody, somebody yells a slogan that was used in the past by the French military when they're attacking. And a French military supporter slapped their president across the face as he was shaking people's hands. That happened earlier today. (laughs) So, I mean, and it's all about radical Islam, folks. It's all over. Uh, Netanyahu promised a heavy price for the rocket fire. That's somewhere around three or 4,000 rockets hit into Israel a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what was Hamas trying to achieve by the fighting? Really simple. They wanted to come out as the Muslim group and the Palestinians that were serious about making Jerusalem al-Quds the caliphate capital. Daniel can't miss in this world. Oh, this was interesting. Meanwhile, the political right was supporting Israel, and what about the Democrats? The radical left was supporting the Palestinians, and the average Democrats were supporting Israel. 
That matches a prophecy in Revelation 11. And this is an image that was put out by the Islamic State just recently. You, you know, it's, it's a made-up image, but it's showing them preparing to behead the President of the United States in Washington, D.C. They're not backing off. Radical Islam will be destroyed. Modernism would follow papal-led Christianity. And as I said, this is what I'll explain Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Now I want to get to the good news. There's a group that escape. That means they are delivered by Jesus Christ. A group of Muslims that join Jesus in the Bible. Now, let me show you why. In Daniel 11.41, it says, These shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and Ammon. In 12.1, just a couple of verses later, and it says, At that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Now notice, I have both escape and delivered underlined. In Hebrew, it's the same word. So there, this group is tied to this group that's delivered when Jesus delivers his people. That means they have to be followers of Jesus. But we get more of it. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life when they see the beast. At the time of the end in Revelation, everybody follows the beast except those who are in the Lamb's book of life. But Edom, Moab, and Ammon don't follow papal-led Christianity. If they're not following papal-led Christianity, it means they have to be in the Lamb's book of life. So you have a remnant within Islam that is true to Jesus in the Bible. Thessalonians says, And they shall not escape, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. The people who escape are those who are trusting in Jesus. You get it again in Hebrews. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Amos chapter 9. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. That is repeated in Acts 15. So it's got a New Testament application as well, which is the same, that Jesus is going to rebuild the Davidic kingdom. And when it does, a remnant of Edom will be a part of his kingdom. Edom, Moab, and Ammon escape. Now take a look at a map. Remember, everything's about where's Jerusalem. The king of the north comes into Jerusalem from the north. The king of the south comes into Jerusalem from the south. But we have Edom, Moab, and Ammon right here beside them. We have the nation of Israel and right beside it, Edom, Moab, and Ammon. The nation of Israel is literal, but it also represents God's people of faith all over the world. And what you have, God's people of faith, have a group of Muslims that come in side by side and together they are delivered by Jesus Christ. It's both literal and global religious. Everything works that way in Daniel 11. Joel 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. 
I know some really neat stories, but some of them I can't tell you. Some of the people I talk to, I don't even know their real names, but I talk to them. That way I can't slip and say their name. Because they're involved in underground work in the Muslim world. But here's what I know. That all over the Muslim world, by the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, Muslims are having dreams and visions of ease of the righteous one, Jesus, coming to them and telling them he is their savior and that they are to be following his book, the Bible. Here's one of them. There's a Christian pastor who gets a phone call And it's what I would call a good news, bad news phone call. (laughs) The good news is a Muslim wants to be baptized. The bad news is if you baptize a Muslim, both the Muslim and you will be killed in a Muslim country. So he goes to the address to meet with the person. He has not agreed to baptize anybody yet. He's got to meet them. He goes there and he knocks and he recognizes that he's being met at the door by an imam, which is basically a Muslim pastor. He thinks, I am in trouble now. And the imam says, please come in. I have a group of men waiting for you. (laughs) I'm in really big trouble, (laughs) he's thinking. But he's thinking, I haven't done anything. He goes in. He's brought into a large room in the house and there's a whole group of imams sitting there. And he's asked to have a seat and the guy that's invited him tells him, "Um, I've had a series of visions. Isa has been teaching me about things in the Bible. And that I'm to trust Jesus, Isa, as my Savior. And he shares things that Isa has told him about the Bible. And he told me to call you and have you baptize me. But it has to be done secretly. And the Christian pastor is going, um, he's thinking, he's telling me this in front of a whole group of imams and saying I have to do it secretly? And, you know, he's very, very puzzled. (laughs) And the imam says, I know that's strange, but you see, I've been sharing everything I've learned with my friends, and we all want to be secretly baptized. That is not an isolated incident. That's why it's safe to say. I have a friend... that runs a website for people to contact after they have dreams of Isa, Jesus. He doesn't want anybody to know where in the world he is because of the death threats that come after him. I have another friend he Well, I won't say what he does. He has a day job. 
But his real job, his night job, <laughs> is to lead an underground movement in the Islamic world. And there are over 50,000 Muslims in his network alone that are following Jesus in the Bible. Did you hear me? I said 50, I mean 500,000 Muslims that are following Jesus in the Bible. I didn't say Christians. I said Muslims. What am I saying? If you identify yourself as a Christian in a Muslim country, you have just identified yourself as a follower of the Pope. Why? Because the Pope sent in crusaders. And Christians became synonymous with crusader. And if you're a crusader, you are a traitor and will be put to death. However, in the Quran, Jesus is there. And in the Quran, it says there are true people of the book, the Bible, that are to be treated with respect. And these people are saying, hey, we are followers of Jesus. We are followers of the book that are to be respected. And we're still Muslim. Muslim means surrendered to God. We're more surrendered than we've ever been. (laughs) And they're getting away with it. Instead of being killed, they're being treated as some strange group of Muslims. They're not getting killed. I will tell you, when I walk into a mosque, I do so with a strange feeling in the pit of my stomach. Because I'm walking in carrying a brochure like this. When I'm coming into a city and there's a mosque in the neighborhood, I go to the mosque at at the Friday noon prayers where they have their sermon. And I get there either early or late so that I can ask the talk to the leadership. And I walk in and I don't claim to be a Christian because that would really slow the conversation down. I say, I'm a true person of the book. And I want you to know this is not an attack against Islam. It will share the good and the bad of both. And ultimately, radical Islam is destroyed and most Muslims are okay with that. You know why? There have been more Muslims killed than there have Christians killed in this conflict. Moderate Islam will follow papal-led Christianity and some Muslims and some Christians will follow Jesus and the Bible. Truly follow God. And I say, whatever happens, don't follow the Pope. Now remember, they think all Christians are followers of the Pope. And they look at me like, and one of them said, now you intrigue me, tell me more. Almost always, I have a wonderful experience by the time I leave. It starts out dicey and gets a lot better as I go. One exception, a mosque in Southern California. I hit a radical mosque. I felt good walking out on my own power without getting beat up that day. Because if looks could kill, I'd have been dead in there. (laughs) Within two months, over a dozen people died in attack in San Bernardino with somebody from that mosque. Um, But anyway, we have huge numbers of Muslims that are coming to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I don't know if you realize something. Those six expectations I put on there, they're all happening. 
We are in the time of the end. It's like we went through phase one and God gave us a burst of what, to, what is coming and then there's this little time that it apparently sort of calmed down a little bit, but really radical Islam is building behind the scenes and I think we're about to have a second wave that's far worse. But that's how I'm seeing it. There's an interesting Muslim teaching. This is one of their hadiths. The Jew was supposed saying of Muhammad. The Jews were divided into 71 sects, with one of which is in paradise and 70 are in the fire. So he's admitting that a few Jews are going to make it in the paradise, okay? The Christians were divided into 72 sects, 71 of which are in the fire and one is in paradise. Oh, more, more Christian groups are going to end up in hell than Jewish groups. Then look at the rest of it. My um. Ummah, Islam, will be divided in the 73 sects, one of which will be in paradise and 72 will be in the fire. Interestingly, that according to that, some Christians, some Jews, and some Muslims would be true to God. Actually, I find that in Daniel. Now, I don't trust the Quran, but I do trust Daniel. But this is interesting because I can use it to help Muslims think about Daniel. It's there too. God's allowed it enough there to have a tool to work with. So what should a true Christian do? Well, you need to know, number one, that the fight between Islam and papal-led Christianity is not your fight. The king of the north and the king of the south aren't God's people, for sure. God's people get caught where? In the middle. You're supposed to be loving people on both sides. So that means it should tell you to stay out of this fight. Your fight is not to kill people. Your calling is to be willing to die for people. Your calling is to love people from all walks of life, from all backgrounds. That's the calling of a Christian. Stay out of that battle and the political battles focus on following Jesus Christ and loving people for him. That doesn't mean you look down on people who serve in the military and things like that. In Romans 13, it tells us we're to respect them because God used them as ministers to bring stability to our world. At the same time, God in the New Testament was not calling us to go kill people for him. You were to respect those that carry the sword, but you won't find in the New Testament where he was telling you to go do that. He said, be willing to die daily and go live and die to save people. So that's what a real Christian should be doing. Romans 13 says, now it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Well, I hope your eyes are a little bit opened that if this really is what it says it is, that this third and final conflict happens just before the deliverance of Jesus and his people, we're now in the third conflict. And it is supposed to be relatively short. And if it began in 2014, Well, relatively short means at least not centuries. It's going to be years or decades probably. 
but it could be wrapping up at any time. Once we're in it, we are in the rapid end-of-the-time conflict. And so I am just really encouraging you, make sure that you and Jesus are on the same page with each other. Make sure you have a strong relationship with him and get serious about living for Jesus in the Bible and sharing him with other people because he's coming back. And based on this, there's not a lot left to happen before he does. Our next, well, the next one is about what happens next. And that is the next presentation, Tidings from the East and the Mark of the Beast. What we're looking at is Daniel eleven forty four and 45. And there's some really interesting stuff, and you're going to be amazed at how you get caught in the middle on this one. God's end-time people get caught in the middle, especially after the, after the target is Islam. God's people are the target right after that. Number five, if you would pull out your response envelope, put a number five up on top. Statement one, Islam is the king of the south in Daniel 11 because it came from the southern part of the Roman Empire, invaded Israel from the south, and has fulfilled all aspects of the prophecy so far. If that makes sense, say yes. If it doesn't make sense to you, no, or question mark. Number two, both the king of the north and the king of the south have persecuted God's people of faith. Both the north and the south have persecuted God's people. Number three, radical Islam will be overthrown while moderate Islam will follow after papal-led Christianity, the king of the north. You know, I didn't point out something. You had to read between the lines to catch this. When the Palestinians were attacking Israel recently and the Israelis were pounding the Palestinian in Gaza, Some Muslims were upset. The media was quoting all these Muslims that were upset. But there was silence, pretty much from Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Morocco, the Sudan. Oh, I forgot the other one. Four of them, Abrahamic Accords, normalization with Israel. They chose not to condemn Israel. The so-called moderates are distancing themselves from those who are radicalizing. And the biggest news was unsaid that there's a chunk of the Muslim world that's turning their back on the radicals in Palestine. And they're joining with Israel and the Christian world. That was interesting to watch for me. Number four, God has a people who will truly follow Jesus in the Bible. God is calling his people out from both Christianity and Islam. So a lot of Christians that aren't really Christian, right? A lot of Muslims aren't really following God either. But God's getting serious about getting people who are supposedly following God to seriously do it. If you agree with that, a yes, no, or question mark. And five, what about your personal decision? Have you decided you're going to follow Jesus and what the Bible teaches? I hope that's a yes for everybody. I really do. Do you remember what my goal for this seminar is? To make sure people are following Jesus and the Bible is their authority. 
That's my goal. If agree with me or disagree, I hope you're following to the best of your ability that. All right? Let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for your word. Lord, it's kind of challenging, exciting, interesting to be living in a time when prophecy is actually happening right in front of us. Help us to wake up to see it. In Jesus' name, amen. I say prophecy is being fulfilled right in front of us. Most people are sleeping right through it. But Jesus told a parable, even his wise followers would be sleepy at the end. But I think it's time to wake up and be ready.